0: Here's Poison Ivy, she's seductive, even though she's this eco-terrorist. Well, Shakti is a Jedi. She channels the force. She's completely calm, she's cooler than I'll ever be. And she must engender authority, warmth, calm, and trust. I take the same skill sets that I've learned as a voiceover artist and taught, and now I love to teach non-voiceover actors that they can utilize their beautiful vocal instrument in that same powerful way and play their professional and personal roles more
1: successfully welcome to the seize the yay podcast a lawyer turned entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. I'm not sure about you guys, but these crazy times have definitely made me reflect on, among many other things, the way we communicate and connect with each other. What a perfect time to have today's guest join the show to dive a little deeper into just that. I'm delighted to have expert communicator, TEDx speaker, and Emmy Award winning voice actress Tasia Valenza join from New York. You might not have realised, but you've almost definitely heard Teja's incredible voice, or voices, before, as Poison Ivy in the Batman Arkham series, Vanessa Dozer in Star Wars Resistance, Shark T in Star Wars The Clone Wars, Sniper Wolf in Metal Gear Solid games, and many, many more. She has had an incredible career as an actress turned voice actress and has turned that passion into a business, founding Give Great Voice to share her learnings on the impact of tone and expression with all of us. You already know I love exploring the stories behind pathways we take for granted in everyday life, so I had so much fun learning about just how one becomes the voice in our ears behind so many different characters. I hope you enjoy and learn something about using your voice along the way. Tasia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Sarah, it's a pleasure and I'm so delighted to
0: be with you because you just represent such joy and light and energy and it's just something that I'm so drawn to and always wanting to share. So you're you're an incredible space for me to do that and I, I so appreciate that.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm just, it's so funny how the universe always works out timing. We've had this on the cards for quite a while now, and I don't think there could be a better time for our audience to hear your voice, all your voices, and the the many incredible ways that you use it, uh, which I can't wait to get into. But first, just to kick off, how are you? How are you going in this crazy, crazy time? Uh, I think we all forget to ask each other that simple question.
0: And that's, that in itself is such a a powerful question to ask. And part of what my platform is to give great voice, because in order to give great voice, you really have to give great listening and to hold a space for people. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, that we're, we forget that, you know, in the, that we just kind of, run into it and do the proverbial you know how are you you know but we say the perfunctory answers but we really don't ask Mm. the deeper questions maybe we do now than we did and that was one of the reasons i made it but i so appreciate it because i you really have to hold a space for someone to share that and then you have to hope that they're willing to be vulnerable Mm. and of course i'm i am and truthfully you know, given the new abnormal, I like to call it, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm doing really well because I, I think I'm, I've been very blessed to have, I have a very close family unit and I just have the blessings of, my, you know, that my husband and my children are with me. So I am not lonely for one thing, of anything, sometimes, you know... But, we're, in, we're too much in each other's space. But I think, you know, I, I'd rather have that than not. And then also my t- children are teenagers. So unlike the many parents who have had to become not only the parents, but the teachers, you know, if anything, I just have mm. to yell at them every day uh, to get off their electronics. But otherwise, it's <laughs> quite self-sufficient and having, you know, to transition. So that's been very, again, I, I recognize what so many people are going through. And so I feel very lucky that I've been able to manage the transition. And also, I worked from home anyway. I've been working in a closet as a voiceover artist for 20 years at my studio. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I used to think it was quite unusual to share that. Now it's not so unusual. So many people are working from their closets because it's the only room that they can escape. <laughs> and, <laughs> so. and the other aspect of that why I'm okay is that it's, I've been very purposeful. And I've been able to share and feel like I'm offering something that's meaningful through my platform, Give Great Voice, and to lift people up. And so that has given me a sense of movement and joy because I know that if I can do something good, then I don't feel as depressed or anxious uh, because you know there's so much negativity around. When I absorb that too much, I, I, I start to spin downward. So I almost keep my blinders on. Yeah. And I just think, what can I do today to make it a more positive experience? So that that's kept me going and it's kept me, uh, you know, rather positive because I know that I can make a difference. So that's that's a little bit long answer, but hopefully... Uh, that's a great one. Well, I try to approach with gratitude. And then I also try to approach with, you know, how can I make things better? How can I make things better? Because I train myself to look in that direction and then to act accordingly.
1: I love what you said too about blinkers. I've just finished writing the CZA book and there's a big chapter on blinkering out the things that aren't useful for you and blinkering yourself towards the things that you do. I think we forget we have so much choice about where we direct our attention and tend to think that we're just victims to, you know, what happens to us rather than controlling what we make of it. And so I love that reminder very, very early on. And I feel like it's the first of so much that you have to teach us today. <laughs> but uh,
0: Blinkering. What, could, uh, could you unpack that? Because I haven't heard that term.
1: Oh, really? So it's in the in the whole chapter about sort of the incessant need to compare ourselves to others, that has been a side effect of our increasingly available digital lives. And my grand strategy that I recommend to people in helping you refind your yay against that grain of comparison is just to put on blinkers like a racehorse yes. to keep out. The stuff that distracts you and that you know is going to send you into a spiral of making you feel crappy about yourself. I think we all know what our triggers are, and yet we yeah. just fall into them. Yeah, we're like, you know, I feel like this makes me feel terrible about myself. I'm going to look at it anyway for a few hours and then wonder why I feel bad about myself. But if you know about the concept of just blinkering it out, you know, I'm sure there's actual psychological strategies as well. But my really simple anecdotal one was just put the blinkers on, just remove those temptations to indulge in things that really send you off the rails and make you feel doubtful or uncertain or inadequate uh, and and blinkered towards the things that you know fill you up and make you feel good and confident. Uh, which is exactly and, uh, what you were you were saying anyway. I didn't know there was a term and you yeah, <laughs>
0: have I love it that you're sharing in your book. That's fantastic.
1: I mean I think I made up the term. I don't think it's an actual term but
0: <laughs> But I think it's on the books now that you know that, that Sarah sees the yay says we're blinkering. And so it's so funny <laughs> that I just had thought of that metaphor, you know, recently because somebody had said to me how are you handling it? You know and I I I I I've been saying I'm putting the linkers, the blinders you know it's the horse metaphor it's really just staying focused because i'm not allowing myself the indulgence for me to to go into that negative space because i could easily go there i mean you know we we all are suffering from great trauma right now mm. um and it's just that I, it's just a matter of again sometimes there's a time to indulge it and then but but how for how long and 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 does it serve you ultimately so i love it and i want to just share one um quote that just i think you probably know but if not it's one of my favorite quotes is that comparison is the thief of happiness now i know it said joy comparison is the thief of joy and but i i just love comparison is the thief of happiness
1: it's beautiful when we
0: look to the right or the left is there's always going to be someone who's got more and there's always going to be someone who has less Mm. so if we just don't you know allow ourselves again to go to that, I wish I had, or he has more, or she has, because we, we truly don't know, again, what most people are really, you know, behind the veil. Absolutely. You know, what looks great on paper and then we pull back the curtain and then it's like we would never want to wish. We, we, we'll take our lives any time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so funny that you said that because the very first question I ask before we even get into the sections always is what is the most down-to-earth thing about you because there's this glossy sheen and surface on all of our lives. Not even out of deception in most cases, but just because you you do by human nature post the highlight reel. So I think you kind of already answered that by being exactly who you are already so far and the cupboard, the closet, but (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else that makes you really down to earth? Well, I have an expression
0: when my kids were young, I said, you know, you need to own your ship. You know, you need to own your shit. Now I just, you know, there are two own your shit. Uh, so <laughs> I, I am a perfectly imperfect individual, and I state that across the board. And even in my TEDx talk, which I, you know, I refer to, it's like a, we, I teach what I need to learn. Mm. And so I, I'm willing to 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 do my best to, to give great voice, to teach it, and also to say that I'm still always a student of it and needing to, you know, eat humble pie as I go forward. So I, I think that's probably one of the things that I would say is grounded about me that as much as I, you know, I, 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 love myself and I do, I absolutely try to own my ship, own my shit and, you know, acknowledge when I've messed up and apologize and, and be real about it. Cause I think that's something that is important to do as we go along and, and people can um, appreciate you much more if you're willing to, to say I messed up
1: totally, and,
0: and, to be able to ask for forgiveness. I think that's something that's, that creates incredible relationships and people really um, respect you for it. So I think that's probably something I would, I would share.
1: Oh, I I love it. I love it. So let's kick off with your way TA. And I think this is one of the most interesting stories. The whole idea of this podcast was to shed light on pathways that everyone knows exist. And we must, you know, have logically figured out that's, there's a pathway to get there, obviously, but you so rarely get to hear about them. And I think we all take for granted the voices in our ears that we are so familiar with. People have definitely heard your voice before, but most people probably don't know how you got to that position of voice actress, voice expert, everything that you do. So let's go back to very young, Tasia, like right to the very beginning of your way to eight what were you like as a child, growing up as a twin, with family, you know, your dad being a former actor, like did you always think it was going to be TV and entertainment? What, what were you like? What did you think you'd be?
0: You know, both my parents were actually raised as actors. You know, my mom was from Brooklyn and my father was from the Bronx but yeah so I can go right into those accents because you know I go right back there and my voice is always but they uh really raised themselves from their heritage because they both came from families that were immigrants and my mother went to music and art which was a very premier music academy in New York City and my father went to the performing arts which was also a premier acting school but both high schools and so they both were thespians and got married. And when I, of course, when I asked my dad, you know, since they were divorced by the time I was two, why, why did you marry mom? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> he literally gave me the answer. I loved how she sang and I figured I'd change the rest. Uh, got so, it. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up from a divorced house, which was, you know, again, in the early seventies, that was difficult, but I, you know, the combined Talent between those two, genetically, and my need to be seen because, again, I grew up very insecure because I was raised with mostly a single mother and my dad on weekends. So I think the combination of desperate insecurity and good talent was like I was driven. I knew I wanted to be an actress and needed to be seen, and also loved the stage. I was in every camp and school play, and I was always the lead. And then, (laughs) so I mean, I, I you know, it was like. I probably came out of the womb singing, I gotta be me! So, so, and then, of course, being in New York City, my mother would actually take me to, you know, she was still going to open calls. She really wasn't acting anymore, but she did sing some cabaret. So I would do extra work with her. Um, And then, you know, I literally had the opportunity. I was discovered because of her. She was going to an open call. It's one of those strange stories. Like, if I wasn't me, I wouldn't believe it. But... I was in 11th grade, I was cutting school one day, (laughs) only once, but I was home at uh, cutting school and she said, look, I'm going to an open call for this Latina woman. And I said, oh, you know, bring my picture for extra work because I didn't quite understand how it worked. So she went down, they had 40 women. They had written the wrong age. There was no internet, it was a newspaper. So they said, sorry, ladies, we have to send you home. We're looking for an ingenue, a, a teenager. And my mother runs to the front of the line and she slaps down the photo like this. And so uh, she calls me up. I'm at Seduto's Ice Cream Parlor, which is a very famous ice cream parlor that's still in New York. She said, you must come down here. Juliet Taylor, who cast all of Woody Allen's films, wants to see you. And I'm like, for extra work? She said, no, (laughs) you're auditioning for a co-starring role in a movie. And I was like,
1: sure. Okay.
0: (laughs) Right. So I was like, someone, you got to scoop my ice cream. I ran down. I, I auditioned with the, Juliet Taylor. um, And she said, yeah, you're great. I love you. Um, So look, uh, you're going to fly to San Francisco, I mean, Los Angeles tomorrow, but pack for six weeks, either you'll be back the next day or you'll be staying to film.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: That that was it. So my mom arranged a friend to come because she couldn't leave. I had my brothers. We flew out the next day. I went to a hotel that still exists, the Universal Sheridan. I was hoping that my co-star would be Scott Bayo, who was very hot <laughs> at the time, and I found out that my leading love, man, you know, my love interest was Sean Penn. <gasps> yes, but I only knew him from High Times at Richmond High. So my excitement was I had to fall in love with Spigoli from Richmond High. I better be a good actress because this was not like what I had envisioned, you know. So, <laughs> so I, I, I had the great opportunity uh, to screen test for uh, the now late great louis mall who was an academy award winning director french director who had made atlantic city and pretty baby with brooke shields and there i was 15 years old screen tested with sean penn got the part didn't go back to school for six weeks and I was now on my way into the professional world without having to have gone to either music and art or performing arts, neither of which I actually got into. So it was one of those, you know, the world, as you mentioned, uh, works in mysterious ways. And so I started there and then I ended up six months later on All My Children where I had been cutting school watching and I almost didn't take the part because I was supposed to wait for the movie to come out.
1: Oh. Uh,
0: but I just, yeah, because you're not supposed to go from a, you're supposed to go from a soap opera to a movie, but not a movie to a soap opera.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: I passed up the first six women that, that screen tested, and then my agent said nobody got it. And I said, wherever I was, I'm back. I, I need to screen test for this. I feel like I'm supposed to be this role. And sure enough, I got the part. That part, uh, and I was on, on All My Children for three years, and I played the role of Dottie Thornton. I was nominated for an Emmy for that, and then that finished, I came up to Los Angeles And by the way, that finished because they let me go. (laughs) Wow. That was one of those, you know, that first bump in the road kind Mm. of a moment, which I know, you know, love to be transparent that I just signed for two more years. And every 13 weeks, they can let you go on a soap opera. And you have to sign for two years. But storylines change. I got let go. And all of a sudden, I was out of work, you know, barely finished high school. And so I moved to Los Angeles and kind of had to like start all over again. And so I... Now took odd jobs and all the things, you know, like I got that wonderful, humble pie. My first opportunity to find out like, wow, your shit does, does stink, you know, (laughs) (laughs) know, all the way up trajectory. So I had to kind of start over and made my way and then started doing different television, made my way through a lot of series and, and movies of the week. And then my mom, the best again, said, you know. You should be doing voiceovers and I was like I don't even know what a voiceover is this was and I she said well you know keep at it she nagged me she nagged me I started doing them and then eventually over six years found that I was enjoying it more and more and more and realizing that the limitations of what our faces and our bodies are to the actor and I know you can appreciate that we're always put into boxes and categories you're not this enough you're too much of that was all of a sudden freed,
1: Mm.
0: and as a voiceover artist, whatever I could do with this voice, this powerful, beautiful instrument, all of a sudden I was able to do. So I did six years of that overlapping. I ended up on another soap opera for 12 weeks. I finished my on-camera career. I never looked back, and 20-something years later, I've been doing voiceovers. Oh my gosh. That was a very long road. but that's There's my- just so many
1: things that come out of that. Like firstly, oh my gosh, daytime Emmy nomination in your pretty much first TV role ever without any training, off a sliding doors moment. How incredible. Right place, right time. Trust the universe. But also then that falling from that is what really made you discover the thing that you fell into that you didn't even know existed when you were young. Another reminder that Jobs exist that we don't even know are possible that we could fall into years later and that's become your calling. You have fallen into voice and that's now been your 20 years. That is absolutely incredible. And I, having been around, you know, TV and and gigs and, and production, I knew that someone does voiceovers, but having even just read your, you know, your IMDB, I was like, Oh, my gosh! The same woman does all those voices. What do you even mean? The breadth of everything and watching your TED talk about so much about voice that you would never think of. So from that that moment of going into, you know ads first, then narrations and then ending up in Hollywood and like the gaming world, how did that happen? How did you work your way into this whole world and learn everything that you've learned about voice and explored? You know, you're, you're very well recognized for your range and you've ended up in Star Wars and Batman and like so many different things. Tell us all about it because the coolest thing I think is hearing about stories that are so different to our own and that result in in the voices we hear every day. But someone had to get there. Someone had to work through their life to get to that that point. Tell us all about it. I'm so fascinated. Okay. Well, that's a great, that's a lot to unpack, but. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I tend to like go off on long tangents. <laughs> oh, so have I. So I'm delighted. I just, uh, you know, the
0: passion of being, of course, an animation is that it still allows the actor out of all the mediums, because voiceover is so wonderful because you can do so many different mediums. You can do commercials, you can do narration, you can do radio imaging, you can do audio books, you can do political ads, um, industrials, animation. It's like a cornucopia. Of, of of using your voice. Now, for me, of course, to be able to go back to acting, which was my background, and to apply it where I had gotten to play these characters that in real life I would never be hired for because, again, you know, you just don't look the part that we have. That, that, that was such a gift to be able to then be able to play and to use my imagination. So I've I've been blessed to play some cool iconic characters that people might be familiar with, such as uh, Poison Ivy in the Arkham games and Shakti in the Clone Wars. And, um, you know, roles that when I grew up, I was like, oh, that's so cool, and be in Star Trek. I mean, I played the, the Shenzhou computer in Star Trek. I had 25 years ago played the first adult Vulcan on camera, uh, you know, in the Star Wars Next Generation. So I've kind of like crossed over back and forth, uh, you know, but I definitely, definitely loved it so much. And, you know, I, I noticed right away that when I started booking more and more jobs, you know, one day my my therapist said to me, you know, your mental health seems to be going up in proportion to the amount of voiceovers you're doing. And I was like, you know, you're right. You're You're right because I wasn't... I mean I, I literally suffered a great deal from self hatred in terms of you know never being thin enough, and I definitely had mm-hmm. you know eating disorders at different times in my career because i couldn't I wasn't built to be thin enough, and especially in the days of Beverly Hill's Nine O Two One and Noah's place, I actually did a series called The Heights, where it was an errant spelling show, but I was by far the heav- heaviest woman on. on any of his shows, because, you know, he was known for, like, the, the waif-looking female. And even though I got to play that role, um, you know, I was just never, ever thin enough. And so, again, the liberation of being told that, you know, you book the job, you book the job, book the job I book the job, I book the job, again? You know, because it used to <sighs> it used to be the acting, I would eat my kishkaset for two days, you know. I'm going to play this role. I'm going to give everything to it, you know. And then you, you do the audition, and then, you like. Know, did I get it? Did I get it? No, you didn't get it. Oh, well, did they say? They liked me at least. Did they say it? <laughs> no, you know. So they, all of a sudden it was like I was getting to audition, and then I would book the part, and then I would book the part, and I would book, and it was for the first time there was wasn't that limitation of you're not enough, you are enough, mm. and that's why people love voiceover because you know we're so. We're so used to being judged as actors. And we, it's not even the paper we give out or the, you know, the, the, the campaign that we make. It's us. And so I think that's probably what the joy of voiceover was the most for me, was that I got to use this instrument, my Stradivarius, and, and channel all the energy that I had put in for the last, you know, 15 years and, and be set, be unleashed into the joy of it. And of course, in animation, we're the most childlike. Because yeah. that's the part where we grew up, right? We, we all have that. That's why we still love movies all the time. That's why animation is bigger than all. Because we love to tap into our joy. And our joy is that permission that we can be childlike, and that's animation. So in a nutshell, I guess that's probably why I love it the most because it, it, it gives me permission and then it gives the audience permission to have that fantasy to go there.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful. I just There's nothing more exciting than speaking to people who love what they do about what they do
0: <laughs> well, the so the passion and the you know exhilaration because you know that people really love it and and, and any, any of us that can my motto is I do what I love and I love what I do and that is truly a gift because not everybody has that privilege
1: yeah absolutely do you get briefed like how do you develop a voice how much are you you know how much scope are you given to develop, say, Poison Ivy's voice? Like, do they give you, I want it husky, I want it, you know, how do they describe it and then how do you roll with it? Yes, well, that's,
0: that's part of the Give Great Voice platform that I unpack because every day, many times a day, I look at a description, whether it's a narration or an animation, and you get key aspects. And they're usually adjectives. We want her warm and inviting or authoritative and, you
1: know, mm. for
0: Poison Ivy, it's like she's seductive. Even though she's this eco terrorist and she's a villainess, she's not a villainess or a villainess. She's a villainess.
1: Oh my and god!
0: Vocation is what she does, and so if I understand her intention, the four questions that I always ask myself when I'm breaking down: Who am I? So I get the, the character. Maybe I get a picture of her, um, and then some background. If she's a DC, you know, I can really investigate. Or otherwise, they just give the description. Who is she speaking to? you know, Batman, her enemies for the most part. What does she want? Well, she wants to protect her young. She has the mother, the plants are her young. And she and she's also a little extreme. She kills her enemies what, by kissing them, you know, with her, her venom. So that gives me a lot of information because it's like, what does the sound of seduction sound like? Well, I understand it because I've, again, you know, I've listened to those that I've, I, I, it, you know, when you're young, you imitate until it becomes more yours and you understand the emotion. So that's each time I'm doing that several thousand times a day. Every time I break down a script, what, you know, I auditioned today for several things. It was warm, authoritative. We have Shakti, another example. Here's Poison Ivy. Well, Shakti is a Jedi. She channels the force. She's completely calm. She's cooler than I'll ever be. So that's the who.
1: That is amazing. And she,
0: But then who is she talking to? She's talking to her clones. And she must engender authority, warmth, calm, and trust. But she's still a Jedi, she's powerful. So she see, you know, again, the voice follows the intention. And I'm acting, but I'm not limited now to what, in, in one way, it's, it's more difficult because I don't have the arch of the eyebrow. <laughs> I don't have that. It's all got to come through my voice. But you're, you're unlimited because you can do whatever wacky thing you need to do to create that sound. But the voice follows the intention. The intention is to be trustworthy, to be warm, to be inspiring, to be calm. If we understand the intention, that's the beauty of understanding how do we land our message. And that's what I love to share, that I take the same skill sets that I've learned as a voiceover artist and taught. And now I love to teach non-voiceover actors that they can utilize their beautiful vocal instrument in that same powerful way and play their professional and personal roles more successfully.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh that is so fascinating and the TED talk is such a a wonderful condensed introduction to give great voice and and all the messages on you know the power of our our tone and and intent uh, behind words and I really want to to go into how you founded give great voice but just quickly before that do you have a favorite persona or a favorite role like is it accents or husky or girly or is there a favorite favorite genre or role? I would
0: say it's not so much of that but I tend to play very strong powerful women. Why? I don't know. Yes I do. <laughs> because, I'm, <laughs> because I'm a, you know, I I'm, I'm a very strong and powerful woman from my background the, the bumps in the road growing up in New York, divorced parents. Uh, I mean there's a lot of uh, you know things that make me me and so the ones that I've been blessed enough to play these women tend to have a through line that they're very strong and powerful. Some are seductresses, some are the sheroes and the villainesses, but they, you know, I tend to not play a Will-o'-the-Wisp because it's just not as organic to me. So I love, mm. I love playing. I just got to play Vanessa Doza, who uh, is uh, in the Star Wars uh, and she is the first, badass mom. She's a badass. She's a, she's a, she's a resistance fighter and she's really powerful and amazing, but she also is maternal. So to be able to play that kind of a Shiro where she's strong and powerful, but she, she literally gives up her family to fight for the resistance. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. something that each of the characters that I play, they, they leave a little of their residue with me and I, I, I aspire to be, the best parts of them so they they imbue me and I hope that I imbue them so that's
1: I love that is there a voice that you can put on for us that's the furthest away from what you're comfortable with that was like the hardest for you to do
0: oh sure let's see well I mean I don't I don't play uh, a lot of children I have played I played a big I played got, got up. That's so Danger cool. Danger you know. okay, you know, coming up with, you know, we 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 Danger Rangers. So you know, she was really small, and I played. Uh, you know, I, I I definitely play characters, but you know, I tend to play more in my wheelhouse than than the actual character. Some some of, you know, my peers are like, they, what can they can do with their voices are amazing, and there's some. Um, great women that you know they just play really great boys they just really own the boy thing but I can play it if I have to which just doesn't come as naturally and nowadays they want it to sound so real that they're almost really mostly hiring children to do it but I love playing and I just you know haven't made a name for myself in that (laughs) (laughs) area.
1: that just blows my mind Oh, my gosh, that is so
0: cool. The joy of it is that you can really tap into that part of yourself, the playful part, and, and play with your voice. I mean, mm. you're, the thing is you use your voice as an instrument every, every day because mm. your whole platform is sees the yay, right? It's based on joy. If your voice was incongruent with that message, if you were like, it's really a pleasure to be with you today and I'm really happy that you're here, We wouldn't really be excited to be on your, you know, listening to you. So you're a perfect example of understanding what, who your role is, who you're speaking to, what's your intention and how does your voice support that intention? You live that.
1: Yeah. Just a quick interruption, beautiful people, to give a wonderful business, a little shout out that I discovered a few months back when I headed to Brisbane with the Mindful Collective and have been meaning to mention since. I met the lovely Yatta, whose business, Ola Digital, creates fun, exciting, and wow-worthy websites without any of the stress and anxiety that usually goes into such a big project for business owners. Particularly right now, when we're all turning to the digital world, I thought some of you might benefit from her new Perfect Pairs Content Confidence and Website Audit Bundle that's essentially an audit of all your digital content and your website to give super busy business owners all the actionable recommendations to make their brand sing online. She's even given us a code for the neighborhood, giving you $50 off. Just use Seize the yay when you contact her via oladigital.co slash perfect pairs. Talk us through that. So tell us, you know, 2017, founded Give Great Voice and have been able to sort of transform everything that you've learned in the arts into practical strategies for, for all of us in our day-to-day communication so give us a quick rundown of, of how you founded that and then what the main tools and, and tips on communication that most of us wouldn't realize is important uh, especially during this time when we can't use our other love languages like hugging and <laughs> I clearly use my hands a lot I can't do that at the moment so yeah
0: well you know I, I was fascinated with recognizing that over the years, the many years that I've been using my voice and my passion for storytelling and um, that a lot of the same principles of being an actor and a voiceover actor, I applied into my life along with therapy (laughs) and emotional (laughs) intelligence and deep work to to have a very successful overall life to have a a really beautiful marriage that, you know, is still going strong 20 years in and continues to something I have to work on in my communication and have incredibly wonderful children who uh, feel emotionally supported and and have allowed me, even though I'm incredibly flawed, to still have a good communication with them. Um, So I noticed that the, the aspects of implying uh, the same skills of who am I, who am I speaking to, what do I want and how does my voice support that intention. This understanding that that my voice has been such a major uh, component of being a successful in my relationship. So I, I, I translated teaching voice acting skills and realized that I could start helping people that don't use their voices at their instrument. I mean, unless you're a singer or an actor or a voiceover actor, you don't, you think of your voice as much as an instrument. You just say what you need to say or maybe your digital communication. And I also, again, was very aware and sensitive at the diminishment of using our voices. And I got very concerned because I, again, have children and um, the phone call became an antithetical experience that no one was doing unless it was absolutely necessary. and It was like an aberration to use the phone, to pick up the phone and call somebody. This really bothered me because I I knew that um, right along with it, I could see the diminishment of my personal relationships. My friendships were becoming much more social media superficial than the deep, long conversations that I grew up on. So the combination of understanding that my voice is something I loved using and seeing that people, especially our young people, were growing up literally not even practicing it and using it concerned me enough that I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to say something. I need to say something about this and at least bang the drum. But hey, our voices still matter. Literally, they matter. And and can we use them? And if, and, and if we're not comfortable using them, let me show you a fun way through the voiceover lens. There's many ways to, you know, talk about public speaking and how to use your voice, but... Everyone is interested in intrigued with voiceover and also the playful aspect. So I thought, let me, let me teach what I know to to build the art of confident verbal communication and people and have fun doing it. And so from that, this evolves, like what is it to give great voice? First of all, it's going to be for college students because they have to go out in the world. And a lot of them, again, were, I read the book, uh, Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle, who's a, who's a social sci- a scientist who was, literally saying in the book that 16 year olds were saying i'd like to have a conversation one day that, that an open-ended conversation scared them mm. and here i was having children who who's becoming teenagers who are you know again communicating with their friends yeah. and and seeing the, the lack of empathy because they're not looking at each other anymore when they say a hurtful thing they're just texting it and and so i just felt my mission that that the evolution of what i was learning and what i was doing had more meaning you know, the, the lovely superficial, you know, I wanted on my epitaph that she did more than sling suds. you know, hey, buy this soap. You know, I, I really wanted to, to use my voice to teach something meaningful and that would live on much longer than I would. And so the TEDx came from that, which was, again, a compilation of, of this, these principles of thinking like a voiceover actor in your own life so you can play your professional and personal roles more successfully, to give, create voice. And at the essence is to be able to move and touch someone with our voices because the voice has such resonance and it can say so much that an emoji just can't or a text just can't vote. Yeah. And I, I just was you know so concerned that that train was leaving the station never to return. And the talk came out February 7th and then all we needed was a little pandemic. <laughs> you know, would I wish for this? No way. But for the first time in years, it wasn't crazy to call up and say, how are you doing? And I'm thinking about you and I miss you and I'm scared and how are you, you know, or to Zoom and say, oh my God, it's so great to be in the same room. So certainly nothing that I ever expected, but, you know, you're again, the mystical timing It's seven years of, to, in the making to make that TED talk, I planned. You know, I wrote it down for the first time in the LA Times and put it on my table seven years ago, and I looked at it every day. Anybody can give a great talk, TED talk, and I put Tasia Valenza and, and seven years later it came out, and then a month later the pandemic hit.
1: I mean, we couldn't need it more than we do now to to be reminded of the impact of communication and and conveying feeling and emotion and intent more effectively than we ever have before. And I, I loved in the talk that you talk about so many different examples that we wouldn't even think about. We just do automatically, like um, for pitching and things like that. Your, your outcome depends entirely on your voice. The content, I mean, of course it matters, but the voice has so much more of an impact. Same with Just even speaking to your children, I think, was an example that you gave, asking them to put their devices away. You know, we default to a particular voice and don't ever stop to think, is that actually the most effective? There's actually an option. I could say this in a different way and get a different outcome. What are some of the examples like that where you think voice is something we don't usually exercise kind of choice over, but that we could?
0: Yes, you know again, I'm very transparent that the, the so I break down the roles the same way I have the poison ivy and all the roles. And I think, okay, the marvelous me map, the magnificent, multifaceted me map, we all have roles to play, and we don't think of it as roles. Sometimes we use the word in my role here, but really, if we look at ourselves as a map, you know, I am Tasia unto myself, the authentic Tasia, and you are Sarah with no defining titles, but then. In our lives, we are. I'm a wife, and I'm a mother, and I'm a sister, and I'm a, I'm a daughter, and I'm a friend, and I'm a CEO of my own company, and I'm, I'm a teacher. All of these are roles. I'm a dog mom. You know, these are all right roles, and some parts of us, we feel more successful in our roles, but most of it is directly related to how we communicate, and so maybe in our professional lives, we feel more successful in the way we communicate, but in our personal lives, it's, it's not going well. Our, our families are, again, more than ever we there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of strife because we're too close together under very anxious, you know, anxious circumstances. So if we're not communicating in a loving, compassionate, empathetic way with our family members right now, we're probably suffering a lot because we we're in a very difficult position. So I always joke that my husband knows exactly how I feel about him as soon as I've said his name. We can all relate, right, as soon as, I mean, the conversation's on its way. It, it doesn't matter really what I said after that. So if it's, if it's, you know, like the frustrations that we have, you know, the clothes on the floor, or the, the toothpaste with the cap, the things that, you know, we become reactive because we just, we're, we're used to being, but if you think the four questions, either this is the primary thing that I ask everyone to think about. If you take only this away, every time you're about to open your mouth and you want to have a meaningful conversation, who am I in this particular scene? Who am I speaking to? What do I want? What is the success of the scene? The outcome of the scene? And how does my voice support that intention? So, my husband's clothes are on the floor for the 800th time. I have three options. I can pick up the clothes and say nothing and maybe have a little resentment under my voice every time I speak to him for the rest of the day. <laughs> Rumble along, wrong, everything's fine. Or... I can say in my reactive tone, Harvey, can you pick up your clothes? Please, right? Or I can say, okay. And then the outcome, by the way, was maybe he'll pick up the clothes. And as he walks out the door, you know, I have to call him back at two o'clock to say, I'm sorry. I, you know, or the conversation turns out, well, you don't do this, you know, all the things that that tone starts, and I can think ahead of time, what could I do? If maybe he'll pick up the clothes, he'll leave feeling good. And our relationship will be better for it. I could just little up and say, uh, again, I could pick up the clothes and say nothing as I say, okay, he's doing the best he can. Or I could say, Hun, when you have a chance, can you pick up your clothes? Hun, when you have a chance, the tone goes up and there's no, there's no prickly back. On, his defense mechanism hasn't gone up. Mm. And he might say, "Yeah, sure, and I will." Now, whether he does it or not, <laughs> it's another story. But the <laughs> I have the option to consciously decide how do I want that scene to go. It's played three hundred times before. It's not gone well when I've gone that. When I say to my children, "You know, give me your electronics back. Give it to me. You know, right away." <laughs> no, mom, or or why, or you know, or you know, instead of saying, "Hey, how long have you been on?" Maybe you know, maybe it's time to like or or. Hey, guys, in 20 minutes, it's time to turn the electronics off. As opposed to, okay, electronics, off, off, off. Which is, <laughs> which is again, very often I do. <laughs> but I know how would I like to be treated. Hey, can I have 20, you know, and my kids are my best um, criti- critics of, of keeping me real. And they're the first ones to say, you know, that's not really getting great voices, is it, mom? Is it? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll own my ship.
1: Amazing. Yeah?
0: So it's really that understanding that we have a choice. We could, we can take a deep breath, which is again, very much about giving great voice because sometimes it's the, it's the moment before it's the, it's the not being reactive. It's the grounding ourselves and saying, okay, I'm feeling this feeling. I'm angry. I'm frustrated, or I feel, you know, righteous truthfully, but But is that going to create the success of the scene? Is it going to make my relationship better? Is it going to make the outcome where they actually do what I want? And and am I going to feel good? Because every time I, you know, I have an interaction with my kids where I feel, I messed up again. (laughs) Then I have to give great voice to myself and say, okay, messed up again. I forgive myself, which I'm very much about saying it out loud. I forgive myself. Because that is an aspect of giving right voice to ourselves because nobody will tear ourselves down first and foremost, than ourselves. And then literally going back to them and saying, Yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. I apologize. And I've I've done that enough times where they they appreciate that and they they say, It's okay, mom. You're only
1: human. That is so interesting. You just have opened my eyes so much to the choice. In tone and conversation and and exercising our voice as a tool. Uh, I don't think we think of it that way, but it's fascinating to learn about giving great voice. I'll never forget that phrase now, ever.
0: (laughs) Whenever anybody uses that term, whether on social media or I give great voice or I'm giving great voices, I was like, I get such a I did that. It's so much joy because it really means that you understand the concept that you have the power and you use it all the time. You have such a joyous, beautiful voice. But, you know, and you're human, there's probably times that you'd be like, ah, I need to give great voice right now. I need to take a moment before I open my mouth <laughs> because who am I wanting to touch? And that could be, again, calling somebody you love. Like yesterday I called, um, it was Mother's Day. And I have a neighbor, oh, I know she lives alone. And she's this wonderful lady that I don't check in with very often. And I just said, you know, I've got to call her up and leave her a message because I know she's alone on top of being alone alone. She's, you know, she's, she's more alone than ever. And so instead of just sending her an email, I called her and left her a message. And I know that that will mean so much more to her. So I always say digital communication is fantastic and very much needed. But when it's, Factual and expeditious, great. But when it starts becoming the heart, when the heart is involved, when there's an emotion that needs to be carried out, how can I make someone feel good? Not how can I help somebody think and get the information to them, but how can I feel and and, and converse and connect and, and make that relationship more meaningful? When I leave a message on LinkedIn and I want to make that relationship stronger, I leave a LinkedIn message voicemail. I just proposed about that, and people are a stunned. They didn't even know they could, and then they're delighted that that you know someone left them a message. So it's just one of those things we get to think about the tool now, just like our other tools, just like our phones, just like our computers, which is my most powerful tool of communication right now.
1: Oh, that's so powerful. And it brings me back to, you mentioned a quote, which makes me love you even more because quotes are my favorite thing in the world. It reminds me of uh, Maya Angelou's quote, people will never remember what you said or what you did. They will always remember how you made them feel. And it's just dawned on me how impactful voice is in creating that feeling in others. But it also makes me think you just mentioned before which leads really nicely into into the NATA section about how critical and hard we are on ourselves how many different roles we are playing at all times particularly you having a job that involves teaching others in a as a mom of three children uh, you did actually end up winning an emmy which i think is incredible you've done affirmations there's so many projects going on all the time moving on to the challenges you've faced along the way Talk us through managing burnout, managing those expectations of yourself. You mentioned not just self-doubt, but self-hatred in the beginning of your career. How have you juggled all the harder the harder times?
0: Well, you know, again, it's been a total evolution of compassion, a lot of self-work. And, you know, it was, you know, I look back sometimes and I'm sure a lot of your guests will say that. Sometimes I can't believe that I, did suffer as much as I did because I truly, you know, my teens and my 20s, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of very painful experiences in terms of truly not feeling self-worthy, you know, worthy. And, And I think, again, that's probably one of our greatest, greatest needs in life is to feel worthy and to feel lovable. And unfortunately for many of us, Our parents who grew up with their parents and their parents who grew up with their parents didn't have those tools because they weren't handed down to them. And we repeat a lot of the same patterns until we start becoming conscious. And I will say, you know, uh, so much credit to my mom and dad because they both really took their backgrounds and really worked on themselves to the best of their abilities. Mm. My father went into therapy in the sixties and he was an actor, so he was a behaviorist. His mom and dad, you know, were, were again, old school. They came from Italy. And so his desire to change that was tremendous because that changed the tra- tra- trajectory of what I was learning. Yeah. He taught that to me, you know, to And my mom went into transcendental meditation and Buddhism. And she was just, again, you know, she was this very wonderfully eccentric woman. I always used to call her weird because she wasn't wealthy enough to be eccentric. But, you know, she was my mom. She would have been so cool if she wasn't my mom. But, uh, but I look back with so much appreciation because she truly was always trying to work on herself. And, you know, as as I became older, she, she apologized profusely that she couldn't be the mom that she wished she had been when I was younger because she didn't have the tools. Mm. And so all of it is that sense of, that sometimes we have to take the reparenting for ourselves. We have to reparent ourselves when, and that comes in many different forms. For me, I, I feel very strongly that we have the ability to, to do that through affirmations. I'm a huge affirmationist. I call myself because it, 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 the ability to rewire our brains. You know, there's so many, there's so much science now that we have the ability to help ourselves now, Again, some people think it's the airy fairy. I love myself, I love myself, but no. It's actually really the understanding that, you know, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day downloading, just downloading unchecked. And most of us aren't even aware because we're not completely mindful in every moment. Mindful meaning, you know, I'm sitting in this chair and I feel the cold steel or I'm washing the dishes and the bubbles. You know, everyone's talking about mindfulness, right? Th- to be more present. But how many of us do that? We, we drive, you know, we get to work. We didn't even know how we got to work because we were thinking the whole time. We're in exercise class. We're thinking, oh my God, I could lose a few pounds. My God, did I get out of shape. You know, these are, we're not thinking. I'm in the exercise class and I'm feeling powerful. You know, we're thinking all the time. So mm. how do we, we I, I call the ability to affirm ourselves is the power of, of taking a 40-year-old program because we usually operate from that part of us, the zero to three, the part of us that we're, we, we were just downloading that information from our, our parents and how they treated each other and treated ourselves. That's what we're operating on. That's 95% of our brains. If we're not conscious of that, that that system of feeling worthy is really coming from an old operating system. And so to me, the act of reaffirming and reprogramming is taking that old software and giving ourselves an update on our software. Like we wouldn't use a computer that's a year old or five years old. We'd we'd update the software because it wouldn't run efficiently. And so affirmations, especially when done in a very relaxed, open state, when we're very much in that kind of nice, relaxed, alpha meditative state, can be amazing in terms of reprogramming ourselves. So I have an Affirmation Meditation app.
1: (laughs) Just on the side with all the other things that you have going
0: on. I was very blessed to be in the right place at the right time again, to be able to be a co-founder of this. And it's completely free. And it's just something that I offer for the holistic. We give great voice to ourselves first. Whatever we say after I am or I have consistently tells our story and our future. So what do we want to say? So this is called, I call it a be kind to our mind app. And the act of, you know, it's very hard to learn a a language in our heads. We can't learn French in our heads, right? I mean, so I call the speaking the language of self love, a foreign language for most people.
1: Oh, yes. I love that. I think in a similar kind of vein to your sense of lack of worthiness, I had that in a different context to, you know, I wasn't in movies and TV where it was, you know, body and visual based. It was more productivity. I started out as a lawyer where uh, my identity was so wrapped up in output and busyness. And it was the same thing. I had to use affirmations, slowing down mindfulness and meditation to rewire those old patterns of thinking where if I wasn't absolutely smashing myself physically. I wasn't worthy because I wasn't creating X amount of output per hour. But I think we do forget that at any one time you can interrupt those thought patterns. You're not stuck with the same CD from, or, you know, floppy disk from the nineties at any time you, there are tools out there now to interrupt your thought patterns and rewire them in a more productive way for your, your joy. Absolutely. And I
0: just happen to have one because, again, it's, it was just God, angels, the universe gave me this affirmation meditation app where the hardest thing I've ever done because I co-wrote and voiced each one that I could share this knowledge that I've learned, share a juicy nugget. They're, they're broken down into masteries. Um, uh, there's stress reduction. There's confidence mastery. There's health, wealth. There's depression support, uh, addiction support. And they're all just 10 minutes but again, what I love is to be able to say that there's many different tools we can use. I happen to think that once we become the witness to say, oh, oh, oh that's a thought. That's a thought I'm having right now. We become the witness. We name it. And then we can say, no, 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 no. That, that's an old computer. That's an old floppy disk. I am wonderful. And in this moment, I am okay. And I... I I can do anything I set my mind to and say it over and, and again in this relaxed state, which you know, I say, take seven of these and call me next week. It's like, you know, the doctor said, take two of these, listen to the app, use it every day, and you'll see that what's something that's very uncomfortable. Maybe you don't feel like I can say out loud I love myself because you never had permission, but if you say it enough and you say it over, what what sounds wonky and rah- rah raw will become a little bit more proficient and one day, wow, I love myself. It's I'm fluent, I can, you know, but it it doesn't happen overnight, but these tools can be so powerful, and to authentically love yourself, there's no, it's, there's no arrogance, it's not cocky, you know, to me, arrogance and and cockiness is insecurity covered, yeah, it's the really, I hate myself, but I'm going to cover it. True love, true self-love is the, when I am full and my cup runneth over, I can be so much more full for you. I can be able to say, that's amazing that success has found you. And not like, that's wonderful. Just, so, <laughs> right? You can hear it in my tone, right? It's always in the tone, right? We just, so, 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 so happy for you, right? This is because we want, when we're full, we can offer that. But when we, we feel less, it's really hard to give great voice to others when we don't feel it ourselves
1: yeah for me a really big part of that relearning and figuring out what it actually takes to kind of refill my cup and be that best person so that I can give great voice and give great everything of myself to others is play which is the third section that whole concept of unraveling your your productive success orientated busy self that's on the you know what I call the productivity hamster wheel where you're just glorifying busy and just getting all caught up in in momentum and not really ever stopping to think about what makes you happy how do you play ta how do you separate your work which is obviously something that you love it's very difficult to separate your identity from work when you when it's also your passion but I think we're best when we do get some distance from the things that are our vocation and our, and our profession how do Do you make time to fill your cup? What do you do just for joy that's separate to all the different roles that you play, which is many more roles than any of us have to play because you're actually paid to have different roles. Yeah. How do you find time for for just you?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I am blessed that my particular profession has so much play in it, woven in, (laughs) which again, you know, I, I'm so grateful because I'm, I'm, I'm really not very good at many things. I mean, I like, <laughs> I, I'm not really organized. I don't tend to be, you know, very, uh, you know, structured. So I have that real artist. So I do so love, um, you know, again, using my voice, whether it's for singing uh, or whether it's for taking beautiful quotes and just voicing them. But, you know, outside of using my voice, for play. I mean, I do love, again, teaching because even though it's part of my profession, when I get to, especially when I teach an animation class and I'm literally saying to to people, I give you permission to go back to your childhood and people, they come alive. And you know, just like you, I mean, you have this incredible joy that that emanates with you. And when you see the aha in the people that you speak to and, and your joy emanating into, like for me, I'm totally responding to you. It's such a gift. So, again, you know, I'm in an unusual circumstance that even though I I love what I do, you know, I don't think of it as all the time working because I I do it for free. You know, I won an Emmy, as you said, which was such a gift. I wasn't expecting it. I donated my voice for two years to the Wildlife Animal Sanctuary because I loved their mission and what they were doing. And then one day I received an Emmy for it. It was one of those like... (laughs) Thank you, God. I I didn't. I I gave that up, but you you know, it's like the, the, you you gave it to me anyway. But it's because I had loved the idea of helping this amazing organization um, that 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 heals and keeps wildlife from all over the world that are that are you know being kept as exotic pets, and mm. and, and it was such a gift. So. Outside of that, I mean, again, I do love it. I would say for fun, you know, I, I'm very silly and I love to play with my kids, but I, we, you know, I love, I, I literally love walking my dogs with my kids. We play games together. I still, we have karaoke downstairs. Amazing! Um, yes, we got a karaoke machine for one 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 of our events and I was like, you're going to sing. We're just going to sing and, and we're going we're gonna to be horrible and we're still going to have fun. So, I mean, again, it's still using the voice, um, but I'm, I'm, I, 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 paint, you know, I used to paint a lot and I haven't gotten back to that, but I'm very, I'm very much that anytime that we're creating that we're enjoying, you know, the act of creating whatever that is. Uh, so that can be, you know, again, journaling, it can be, it can be, um, I love learning. I'm just a total mind, you know, sponge in terms of listening. So I'm always either listening to an audio book or I'm reading, um, you know, a, a, a fiction book. I read fiction books, but I listen to audiobooks and I'm always like right now I'm listening to Presence by Amy Cuddy, who's such a masterful teacher, you know. So
1: You mentioned her power pose in your TED Talk. Yes, and I
0: added to it, yeah. So I'm just, I'm just at that point where, you know, to me, Creativity and then movement. I understand that you know I get I can get very anxious if I'm not moving in some way. Mm. So I hula hoop. Uh, oh. that's my, my exercise. <laughs> I didn't know how to hula hoop till I was 45. My my, my daughter was like I, I I was one of those girls where it just always you know fell to the floor and then. One day I just watched my young daughter and it just connected. And so-
1: <laughs> you are the perfect example for how good play is at keeping you young. You look half of 45, honestly.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm actually 50, 52. So I know. I was- <laughs> Thank you. I feel, I feel that youth, uh, the this play and appreciation, and I love to generate gratitude. Mm. I love to generate it in terms of like, you know, just reminding myself out loud, again, when my my mind is going too negative or anxiety, I generate what I'm grateful for uh, and it makes me, that's my other favorite quote. I have two, you know, comparison is the thief of joy or happiness and um, happiness is being grateful for what you have right
1: now. That's beautiful.
0: Not in the future when i'll be happy when when i lose those 10 pounds when i get the car and by the way you know it's it's very easy to 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 want that but once when when somebody gave me that definition it was one of those lightning bolts again of like yes happiness is a feeling that i can generate right now and gratitude is the road to get me there
1: Mm, i love that there's another one uh It is not happy people who are thankful. It is thankful people who are happy.
0: Yeah, and it sounds so bulky when you say it, but when you think about it, even when you can just be grateful to say, I'm alive right now and I have two eyes to see, you know, my legs move or I have a, a family that loves me, that energy in itself can help us to then utilize for the things that we do want, you know? But again, the energy of gratitude is so much more attractive than the, than the deficit of lack, right? When we come from a, a space of lack, it's very hard to, to pull towards us those very things that we do want to manifest. So happiness literally is a generator of gaining more happiness, you know, happiness begets sentences. So I think, again, we can utilize it as a tool and, and not just be like, I don't, I don't want to come off as like a, it's all hunky-dory airy-fairy. It's really, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very pragmatic and I think, again, science is backing that up more than ever. Yeah. that there's something to this brain hacking and that when we, when we are the masters of our mind then you know, otherwise our minds will master us if we're not the masters of our mind our minds will master us
1: well, that is such a beautiful note to finish on. My last question is always, what's your favourite quote? So you just answered it. And I am so, so grateful for your time and wisdom, especially I think that that last po- point on mastering our mind and manifesting gratitude is so important, especially now in times where we face uncertainty, distance, isolation. Uh, you've been a shining light. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I, I, again, I, you know, I'm, again, you're, you're, you're a diamond in terms of that light that, that creates that energy. And so I reflect off of you and I'm, I'm honored to be in your sphere and to be able to share with your listeners um, anything I have to offer that might lift them and help them in any way.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'll make sure to pop the links to the TED Talk and give great voice, your social media, all the different things that you've got going on so they can I
0: really want to send the affirmation meditation app called Haven Guided because that's something they can utilize right away. It's free. And if it can be of any support to them, because I I do know that, you know, people are suffering right now and it's very real and anything that we can do to, to support ourselves. That's just something I, I would really love to offer.
1: Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Oh my gosh, Tasia was almost as excitable as I am. What a bundle of energy and wisdom. Hope you enjoyed as much as I did, especially if you've heard her voice before or learnt something today, and I highly recommend you go and watch her TED Talk. Please do share and tag at Tasia Valenza to shower her with love. I'll pop links as always in the episode notes to her business and affirmations. Also, thank you everyone so much who joined for this week's Chits and Giggles Live Lunch Hour for an open discussion on adoption. I absolutely loved reflecting on my journey and seeing how curious and interested everyone was to learn about it. Next week, we'll be swapping from a hump day lunchtime to a 5pm to bring back Georgia Love and Leroy Elliott in what you know will be an absolute hoot. So join us live on Wednesday evening. Hope you're having a great week and are seizing your yay.